0: This is an Odyssey Original. This is The War in Ukraine
1: Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Victory Day in Moscow, usually cause for Russian patriotism, display of military might, parading soldiers, tanks and jets in Red Square. There were the soldiers and tanks. It was subdued, though, for Vladimir Putin and the Russian elite. Putin didn't call for a mass mobilization of hundreds of thousands of more soldiers, nor did he declare any kind of victory in the war in Ukraine. Instead, he presented a list of the manufactured reasons for his invasion usual grievances against NATO and the West. We'll take a closer look at what Victory Day means for the ongoing war in Ukraine. We'll also go to Kiev to talk with a group of filmmakers, U.S. Army vets embedded on the front lines
0: with Ukrainian forces. Russia marked the 77th anniversary of its victory over Nazi Germany in World War II with its annual Victory Day parade. But Instead of Vladimir Putin announcing a dramatic escalation of his invasion of Ukraine or claiming a victory of some sort, the Russian leaders sounded sort of status quo on what has turned into a grinding, protracted fight in eastern Ukraine. We're joined now by Andrew Jenks, Russia expert at Cal State Long Beach. Andrew, thanks for being with us. Is what Vladimir Putin didn't say today at the Victory Day parade as important and, and perhaps meaningful as what he did say?
2: Yeah, I I think that what what he's up to here is um, playing uh, uh, the game of the guessing game. Actually, he's having us play the guessing game, and that works to his advantage. Uh, Meanwhile, he's going to continue waging war. um, And it's in this kind of indeterminate uh, situation that we see now in Ukraine. And, you know, it doesn't you know, thinking about it, it's actually if you're Putin, this is a pretty good move because um, it still keeps his options open. Uh, and meanwhile, of course, uh, it really doesn't matter if he declares war because the facts on the ground are he's waging war against Ukraine.
0: Well, and and I suppose by by not saying anything, as you know, last week there were predictions, I think, out of the Pentagon about is he going to declare a war on on all of Ukraine so he can recruit more more troops or, you know, on the most dire end of predictions, was he going to set off some tactical Nuclear uh, weapon. He didn't do any of that, as we've just uh, discussed. But does that not also then signal that this is going to be a really protracted experience there?
2: Yes, I think so. I mean, um, I, I personally I think that the whole discussion of whether or not he's going to declare war on Victory Day was a little bit overblown, because the the reality is is that he is waging war. And if we think about let's say previous wars that the Soviet Union engaged in. Um, In places like Czechoslovakia, the invasion of Hungary, uh, Afghanistan, uh, there were no formal declarations of war, and yet there were massive military operations. So I, I, I don't necessarily see that the declaration of war is terribly critical here. What's critical is what he's actually doing, and that is continuing to wage war in Ukraine, and I agree it's going to be protracted.
1: He did mention the fighting for the Donbass region. Is there any read on this that that could be his fallback? That he, you know, could could try and keep that area and, and still call it a win, which is, of course, easy for people thousands of miles away to say. Not easy for the Ukrainians.
2: Yeah, well, I I think that that would be in some ways a kind of optimal situation for him, and 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 you know, he could have probably negotiated a settlement that would give him at least some more influence in the eastern part of Ukraine long before he escalated. But at this point, I think as you're as you indicated in the question, um, Ukrainians are not going to compromise now. They have a sense that they can fight and and perhaps even win. So that also suggests to me that this is going to be a protracted engagement. And uh, how does Putin get to saying, you know, I have the Donbass when he's got widespread uh, resistance uh, among Ukrainians that, by the way, he counted on their support uh, early on uh, in the invasion?
1: Andrew Jenks, Cal State Long Beach, uh, Russia expert. Andrew, thanks. Fierce fighting continues in the eastern part of Ukraine comes as Vladimir Putin gave few clues about his future war strategy during that speech in Moscow.
0: Meanwhile, two U.S. Army veterans turned filmmakers have been on the front lines in Ukraine, and they join us now from Kyiv. They're Justin Roberts, CEO of Echo Bravo Productions and fellow Army vet Hank Barb. Also on the line from Ukraine is Steve Shakunda from L.A. He's a Ukrainian-American helping with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, first, uh, Justin, tell us a little about where you've been and, and what you've done thus far in Ukraine. Well,
3: thus far, uh, we have, we came into through Lviv, down to Kyiv. And uh, we just got back from the Donbass region and uh, we went out on some of the operations there, met with some of the soldiers who were in the midst of the fight and went out with them as they done, did some of the attacks and then uh, surveyed the humanitarian efforts over there. And then, you know, we actually just came back a couple of days ago back to Kiev.
1: So you've been pretty embedded with the Ukrainian troops. Tell us what it's like, especially out there as you get further to the east in the Donbass, which is where a lot of this is, is concentrated right now.
3: It's it's a lot of heavy fire, but it's a lot different fight than you know what we're used to. When we were in, I was in Afghanistan. Uh, these other two, Hank was in Iraq, and Steve was in Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, we were used to small arms. We were used to uh, IEDs, and it was just a very different fight. You know, this is a very conventional fight. So it's a lot of long-range weapons, uh, artillery, rockets, uh, drones, and trenches. And so the if you're in the wrong Red coordinates Good. yeah then you're
0: gone and do you think just uh, psychologically were you guys prepared for this uh, going into this experience since it was as you just pointed out so different than what all of you had experienced in your own military backgrounds
3: yeah it's it, both of us are pretty familiar with this
4: yeah i i think yes and no you know once we got embedded with the soldiers it felt like being around soldiers you know uh uh, a Ford observation post, a FOB, right, is a FOB, and it, it felt familiar. And, and it, being psychologically familiar
3: with the combat, too, we were pretty well prepared for that. I mean, I brought my buddy Hank here because he's a former combat medic, and so I have a pretty good team here, and Steve, I mean, he's former Marine infantry. So we, we've been through the firefights before. It's just, you know, it's just different.
1: Hank was that you we just heard I remember we talked we talked before at least a, a couple weeks before you left or you were getting set to go right
4: Yes sir yeah I talked to you uh, and I think Justin was in a uh, uh, a money meeting trying to raise some money for the
1: trip <laughs> trying to get ready for the trip So uh and, and Hank how would you gauge how things are going especially for the Russians which don't seem to be moving those lines all that much and it's it's so much of the discussion that the Ukrainians have been able to fight so well and hold them off or maybe the russian military just wasn't uh, as good as everybody thought it was all what? this time
4: i think it's a combination of both you know the thing that i noticed and that stood out to me the most is that man the the ukrainian soldiers their morale is through the roof uh, they're exceptionally competent at what they do and they are a professional army and that's what i notice and and also they are Confident that they're going to win, and I'm confident that they're going to win just from seeing them. And uh, I, I think, uh, I think they are winning.
0: Uh, I'm curious: Is, is Steve uh, there with you now? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Hi. You are. Hi, Steve. Uh, so as I mentioned going into this, uh, you're helping with logistics. What's involved with that?
3: Well, let uh, me correct that real quick. Uh, he, so he's helping on uh, the camera work, uh, interpreting. And, well, what are you not doing?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I brought up as, a, I guess, an interpreter, also a cameraman. Uh, I live in uh, Hollywood, Los Angeles, so I do filming for for a living. And uh, I was looking uh, to uh, find my way to get to Ukraine and help out in here in Ukraine. So I was able to connect with uh, Justin and we talked over the phone and a few days uh, we talked uh, because we both members of VME, Veterans in Media and Entertainment. That's how we got in touch. And, uh, and yeah, in a few days I flew here and we started this, this mission of uh, filming a documentary. And uh, just like Hank mentioned before, uh, it is. Uh, you know, sort of a different war. It's artillery war, but it's still a combat. So, you know, we're just getting used to it and uh, learning a lot from the front line. And as Hank mentioned before, it's a little bit of both. Russian army is not as strong as we thought, and Ukrainian is strong as Stronger than we, you know, we didn't uh, anticipate that Ukrainian army would be so strong. Nobody did, really. Yeah, yeah.
1: you've like all everybody
5: expected them to fold, and they just proved everybody
3: wrong.
1: All right, the early the early expectations were, you know, a week or, or two weeks or something, and now now we're all this this time in. Uh, Steve, you've all seen things in Iraq and Afghanistan, but did you st- have any trepidation of of going back into a, a war zone, or was it something that like you were? Uh, saying earlier you felt like you had to go almost you wanted to uh, go and you wanted to to do something
5: exactly so to be honest i don't want to be here if the war didn't start like i'll be i'll be in hollywood filming and doing my thing but just because of this war i i couldn't just sit in hollywood and watch from the tv and watch the news i was like heartbroken so i had to find my way here and do something from here
0: Justin, so, how, how, Justin, how long is this mission for you guys? How long do you plan to stay there? Are you done shooting?
3: Oh, it feels like you're going to curse the production if I give you a time.
0: Uh,
3: <laughs> see, uh, it, it, we're hoping for three or, three or four more weeks for the documentary, but then we're going to immediately pivot to doing a syndicated series of 10 episodes focusing on the humanitarian efforts. That are going on here. So a different nonprofit for each episode
4: with our series that's called Do Good. It focuses on hope. You know, Do Good is about finding hope in really traumatic situations. Uh, Because like I mentioned before, whenever something really bad is happening, good people are going to step up and make life better for people around them.
1: So it's
3: like the
4: documentary focuses on the war, and Do
3: Good focuses on the people who are helping to rebuild.
1: Can you share some stories or, or, or pieces of what you've, you have found while you were documenting those efforts, the people out there doing good that have really stuck with you?
3: I mean, like thus far, like our first sets of efforts have been focused just on the war and getting embedded into the military because so much is going on right now. Uh, we have the first thing that we came across, though, even before we got into Ukraine, was what was happening in Poland, in Warsaw. Uh, we, we tried to find the refugee camps. We didn't find any is because the people of Warsaw, you know, two million people took in 500,000 people into their homes and the government wasn't forcing them, telling them to do it. There was no nonprofits leading the charge on this. This was a movement of the people who just became incredible neighbors and opened up their homes.
4: Yeah, You know, we uh, we stayed at a hotel in Poland while we were waiting to cross into into Ukraine and the hotel was full of, of refugees and i remember justin mentioned hey we'd like to buy a meal for the for the refugees and the hotel said oh no we've already paid for all of their food <laughs> and the, and so even the hotels there were opening up their hearts, to these businesses, yeah. homes—it's
3: just an incredible movement of kindness that's going on. So I think one of our first heroes that we saw is just simply the country of Poland. Oh, yeah. Poland,
4: yeah.
0: Steve, as as you and and uh, your companions there, your fellow uh, filmmakers have moved around Ukraine. Uh, what has the impact been on the average civilian there? Not not somebody who's taken up arms, not somebody, but but the average person who three months ago was going about their normal daily existence, whether they were a teacher or a doctor or grocery store owner, and now find themselves in the middle of this, this war with Russia?
5: Yeah, sure. Good question. We actually interviewed a doctor from Mariupol. So what he told us is just, you know, it's hard to describe. The pictures he shared with us, it's hard to watch. So from a normal life, he was a doctor doing his thing. And then when war broke up, it just – people were – the civilians, uh, children, women were dying in Mariupol uh, right and left because of uh, Russian bombing. So they – Russians don't discriminate. They usually target, you know, everything and anything. So for this person, he was living in Mariupol as a doctor. He had to flee, and he had a really hard time just, you know – uh, moving to Ukrainian side. And right now, you know, he basically lost his home, his job, and his life completely changed. So yeah, uh, the, the life changes uh, completely for a lot of Ukrainians, civilians.
1: Justin or Hank or, or both, take me through, you know, uh, from the eyes of a, a, a soldier who's, who's served now seeing just how indiscriminate, the Russians are with that civilian population. I mean, when you're bombing homes and schools and theaters, that's that's not what's quote unquote supposed to happen.
4: You know, it it, it feels like this is not necessarily like a, a battle against political governments, but like good and evil. You know, uh, the Ukrainians would win a victory, and the response would be that the Russians would kill the town that it came from, and and just every building in the town is destroyed. We we spent time with uh, with an old older lady and she was sweeping the rocks in her house and folding clothes half of her house was down all the all the houses around her were like piles of of stone and they're out there sweeping the stone and trying to make it just feel normal again
0: i would uh, imagine i've never been in a war zone but i would imagine that being in one whether it was iraq or afghanistan or now for you guys, uh, Ukraine, has got to change you in some fundamental way. Am I right about that?
3: Yeah, it's I, I call it being baptized by fire. You know, once you go through the firefights, you, you don't get to come back as you were before. You are going to be different. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily broken or, or weaker or, or something wrong with you. It's just you're going to be different. And, uh, so that's why, I mean, like when I decided on what kind of team I wanted to bring with me, you know, I selected these guys specifically, uh, they have experience telling stories, they're artists, they, they know what they're doing in front of a camera, behind a camera, but they also know how to navigate a battlefield and, you know, they're not rattled when the bombs go off and they know what to do in emergency situations. So that was the specific kind of team that I needed, uh, to be able to tell these stories,
1: for us to tell these stories. Justin and uh, all of you, uh, Hank, uh, Steve, thanks so much for, for speaking to us. Sure.
4: Appreciate
1: you guys. Oh, thanks for having us on. I'm glad you're, uh, you're staying safe and uh, and that you'll be telling these stories and, and we'll stay in touch with you. Justin Roberts, CEO, Echo Bravo Productions and uh, fellow veteran Hank Barb and then Steve Secunda from L.A., Ukrainian-American, helping out uh, get them to where they need to be, uh, translation and uh, filmmakers, all of them.
0: To like everything. Yeah, basically they credit him with getting through their country
1: Yeah, exactly Uh, Thanks to you guys This is an Odyssey original Find us and others on the Odyssey app Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher